Hello and welcome to episode 69 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. Cards too, when there's new ones to talk about. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, it is very nice to see you, my friend. Yeah, pleasure is mine. I was looking forward to today's episode. New cards. Yeah, I I can't wait to talk about these again. And we got Dave back, I think. Is that Dave? I think that's the godfather, Dave Harbarger. It is so nice to be back. I'm uh, really excited to talk about some of these some of these cards that I missed out last week. I don't Here's the thing that bumps me out the most. I do not have any corrections to issue on the things that you all said last week. Nice. Which is a real drag cuz usually I love to come and just hammer you guys after I've been off for a week, but you know what? I think Everett saved you. So, yeah, Everett did a really good job keeping us on the straight and narrow, providing some guidance. Yeah, and polite as well. Yeah, I think this card looks like a trap. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems cool. I think you I think the card you like is a trap, but good luck. <laughs> On this week's episode, we break down the results and decks from last weekend's Pioneer Super Qualifier on MTGO. That's Magic Online, if this is your first time listening to the dive down. Then we dive into another round of spoilers from Ikoria, Lair of the Behemoths, or as you probably know it, Elob. But first, a little housekeeping. Shout out this week to Nico L for increasing their Patreon support. Thank you so much especially in this day and age. We love to see it. Yeah, no new patrons this week, but that's okay. We know that spending extra money isn't really what people are looking to do. But just so you know, if you do want to support us, if you like the dive down, even $1 an episode is super helpful to us. And it gets you access to our Slack server. You can talk to us. You can talk to the dive down nation every day. Uh, Higher tiers get things like tokens, pins, stickers, uh, a custom design play mat, all kinds of stuff like that. Dave keeps threatening us with a hat. <laughs> keeps threatening. The hat will exist at some point. I know it. All the hat factories um, are closed right now. I don't know if people realize that, but it's uh, it's tough to get a hat right now. So, If you're a haberdash, get at us. I think it's a milliner is the term you're looking for. That's, that's what a person who makes hats is. A haberdasher would be a person who makes clothes. Really? Today I learned. We do appreciate the ongoing support of everyone uh, in the Dive Down Nation. Look forward to meeting some new citizens, hopefully in the near future. If you want to support us, if you want to join the Dive Down Nation, go to patreon.com slash the dive down and see what we have to offer you. And as always, the Dive Down is brought to you in part by manitraders.com. Uh, Manitraders.com, the best way to rent magic online cards for modern or pioneer. Um, or both. Or both, yeah. And they are doing some cool stuff. You know, they they announced a tournament ser- series a little while ago. We're keeping an eye out for more details on that. But if you would like to, uh, you know, check them out and throw us a little bit of support while you do it, you can go to Manitraders.com and input the code, the dive down, all one word, lowercase to get 15% off your first three months of rentals. Manitraders.com. Thanks, buddies, for telling people how to support the show and all of our 
fans and friends and listeners who've been supporting us for all these years. But now Shane's over at the news desk, hot off the internet. I love the internet. Gives me all my information. In keeping with our trend of looking at Magic Online results, we're going to head back to Pioneer this week, go over an eight-round super qualifier that took place this last weekend. So as usual, we'll go over the top eight in some detail, then we'll head into the top 32 metagame. We can monitor any changes we're noticing and try to prepare you for the coming weeks or so. We looked at a couple super qualifiers two weeks ago so we can see if the metagame is looking any different, if things are staying consistent. Uh, with decks that are re- uh, showing up again. So let's see what we have here. Starting off the top eight, we have Z-Man, a 2340 with Demir Inverter. Nothing particularly noteworthy I saw on this list. Yeah, except for the pilot. Because I do believe that Z-Man 2340 is Zan Syed. Oh, Oh, I think I remember them tweeting that like Zan had been like not playing Demir Inverter and he was like, okay, fine. And he just wins the whole thing. Yeah. Well, Zan, good work. Uh, Very competent pilot with a very competent deck. Next up, second place, Olivetti, also on Demir Inverter. We had a Demir Inverter finals. Uh, Nothing too crazy here. Something I noticed was a Singleton Disfigure and a Singleton Drown the Lock main. And instead of like a singleton Narset, they chose to run Ashiok Nightmare Muse in like kind of the Walker flex spot. Mm-hmm. This figure, what do you think was the rationale there? The minus two, minus two. Can you actually read that card for me? So Disfigure is a single black for an instant. Mm-hmm. It was originally in Zendikar, I believe. And the text is, target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. It's like a little mini, you know... Uh, it's a worse dead weight. <laughs> I I think some people would say better, but depends. Yeah. I'm not sure what this is for. I mean, generally, this would be for obviously killing a small creature or killing a creature that has something like indestructible. Sure. I'm just going to admit that I'm not sure what comes to mind here. I'm assuming it's something in the mono-white deck... Uh, maybe it's to help you try to get rid of walking ballista or something like that in a way that they can't. Uh, I'm not sure. Do you have any thoughts, Shane? Not really. Well, I'm glad you did research into this question before you asked us on the on the show on air. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, didn't, I was curious if you guys had any thoughts. Like, it's like it's not big enough to take down like a Heliod. Do you know what I mean? And it's maybe if if some if like it takes some damage and you finish it off with like a disfigure, who knows? Maybe it's to deal with like a turn one mana dork. I mean, fatal push does that though. But maybe they they were maxed out on fatal push, though. I suspect it's, it's extra fatal push. Yeah. So, uh, if anyone in the the world out there has has some has some ideas for why the disfigure uh, main and one on the side, I believe, let us know. Third place, another name in the Pioneer circuit, uh, Bautuina, the grinder. I think he, uh, they typically lead the trophy leader board on Pioneer all the time. Mm-hmm. They they take third on Sultai Delirium. Interestingly, I thought there was two Ashiok Nightmare Muse main in this list. So Ashiok Nightmare Muse is, is showing up more regularly in Pioneer. I remember a few weeks ago when I said people should start paying attention to this card. Yeah. Now it's in all now it's all over the place. Batutinha heard and adjusted their deck. 
<laughs> Seems unlikely, but yeah. <laughs> I agree with Dave. I love that. Dave, so sad he wasn't on last week. <laughs> Fourth place, uh, Zernak on an Orzov Doom Foretold, a heavy enchantment-based deck here. Uh, it leverages powerful effects and all sorts of enchantments like Demonic Pact, Doom Foretold, Treacherous Blessing, The Eldest Reborn, Oath of Kaya. To control the game, finish things off with Starfield of Nyx or like Gideon of the Trials. Uh, Gideon of the Trials is also, of course, helping you not lose the game from your Demonic Pact. A little fun one-two combo there. I like that. This is a pretty nice looking deck. I don't think I've heard of it before. Has it been around and just I missed it? I've seen variants on this deck, like just heavy enchantment-based Orzov decks. This is definitely more complete, just like a ton of enchantments. A nice power level for sure. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those decks that people have been wanting to see for a little bit. It's sort of what you might call Doom Foretold Stacks, almost, Mm -hmm. in Pioneer. Demonic Pact is a very cool card, Um, very risky card to play but um yeah Yeah. interesting whole lot of enchantments in here how does it win well starfield of nyx animates your enchantments that's right that's what it is if you have five or more enchantments i believe non-aura enchantments they all become like animated and 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 their power and toughness is their cmc right i believe so i think that's called opalescence by the way that was a card i think in legends that animated enchantments so an opalescence effect like non-world enchantments i want to say (laughs) <laughs> non world. Ah, I love world enchantments. What about uh mono artifacts though? Did it animate those? No, it it, it only uh, animated poly artifacts. Okay. All right, next up in 5th place, MLGB 92 on Mono Green Walkers. One thing I noticed in this list is they moved one voracious hydra out of the main into the side and Along with two walking ballistas, which is kind of typical now, there's a single, the one singleton voyaging satyr still in the main to replace that voracious hydra. You sound choked up about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, maybe they are seeing fewer creature decks that they want to have voracious hydra fight something maybe they just want that option for the the ramp for the untapping with the voyaging satyr i do not know voyaging satyr and nykthos does look really nice i mean it's 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 been it's been a nice combo as part of the monogree walkers thing for a while i think people were trying to figure out ways to fit main deck walking blisters in they've started shaving them down to one or zero uh MLGB92 is assigned to like move one Voyaging Seder out, move one Voracious Hydra to the side to get those two ballistas in. Maybe it's curve considerations, something to do with their X spells. Still a good deck. Yeah, it's good. It just sticks around. Um, in the wishboard, I'm starting to see uh, Meteor Golem as kind of a standard inclusion, which is a seven mana, three, three artifact creature. So you can fetch it up with Vivian and Karn. Um, when it ETBs, it destroys any non-land permanent because otherwise a seven mana three three is not very on rate. But that ETBing and killing anything that's not a land is quite good. Shadow Spear is a more common inclusion as well. It's nice to be able to get that lifelink. And what does it also give trample? Is that correct? It does. Yeah, I mean, sure. How about the Emrakul, the promised end? Is that normal on the sideboard for this? Yeah, typically. 
the creatures that are run are like an Ulamog and an Emrakul. Honestly, I haven't had a game where Ulamog didn't pretty much end things on the spot. Um, I've never actually cast the Emrakul, even when I could, because it was like the, the Ulamog was sort of more of a game ender on the spot. I'm sure that it's you know nice sometimes to have, but it's uh it's it's always there maybe just because there's not much better in the pioneer suite of creature tutors right now or cards to tutor up there all right sixth place and seventh place and why oh, not eighth place and eighth, and eighth place. place okay so uh neats resner urza major which is a good name by the way um and kel dweller all on mono black aggro this deck won't die much like the creatures in it. I can't believe you just called this person Kel Dweller when it's Cell Dweller. Why would that be a hard hard C? You're right. <laughs> Why would- <laughs> it's like me trying to teach phonics to my four-year-old here. I'm like, it's not Kel. Cell. <laughs> Cell. Do you think they're a fan of mobile phones? <laughs> and, and good roaming plans? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, free nights and weekends, still relevant. <laughs> Um, yeah, this it's it's these decks are all very similar. There's no like weird, you know, novel creatures showing up here. Uh, two to three spawn of mayhem seems like the default now. I'm I'm not sure if that was always the case. I felt like spawn of mayhem sort of came in and out uh, to like sort of. I think it was trying to fight the mirrors because it could it could block um, rankle, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that. This is just here. Is, all these decks are similar, uh, and they just took 6th, 7th, and 8th place. Yeah, there's only one that's running a pair of Gifted Aetherborn, which is kind of a interesting card to have around. Thought you were going to have some aggro. Maybe you didn't. So these three mono-black decks in the top 8 are the only three mono-black decks in the top 32. That's true. So they all performed quite well. Nice job, you guys. Speaking of the top 32... Shane, would you like to take us through the breakdown? Oh man, I don't, I don't know if I do, because because it's it's not anything that I really like seeing. I see six Demir Inverter decks in the top thirty-two. Okay, five Sultai uh, Delirium Midrange style decks, three Mono White, three Mono Black, and kind of you know, just a little tangent off those is we have two Mono Black Vampires. Uh, going along for the mono black aggro ride, you know, it's a little bit more of a long game, a little bit more of a mid rangey deck, but it still is kind of the, the similar core. We see two more mono green walkers and two lotus breach still showing up. I did notice that there was more damping sphere back in people's sideboards than the last time we had. We looked over the pioneer super qualifiers where people pretty were shaving pretty hard on those. This other bucket is huge. There's nine one-of decks here. And when you combine all the different decks in this top 32, there's still 15 different decks in this in this bracket at the tournament, which isn't like a benchmark per se, but it's something that we've kind of noticed over these super qualifiers that we are keeping an eye on that like somewhere between 15 and 20 seems to be the deck diversity number of Pioneer. It's just this top eight that looks kind of homogenized and boring and like... Not necessarily suspicious to me, just kind of uninspiring. Yeah, that's something I want to talk about kind of like in our takeaways. Maybe we'll just we'll just go right to it, right? Inverter still 
at the top of the meta. Two weeks ago, we looked at like kind of a, a double event. We had 64 decks. Uh, Inverter was close to the top there. It was like just behind Mono White, I believe. And we see Demir taking the top spot here. Uh, six out of the 32, not quite a quarter. Um, I mean, I mean, it's like what, 18%, 19%, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's between, between 15 and and 16%, I guess. Well, wow, that's a really good work, Dave. Um, that's not what it is. It's, yeah. Great math. So does this deck need to hit the road or what? Like, who cares that Watsy thinks that it's a 50% deck? It's it's continually showing up. It's a it's a combo control deck that potentially is is stifling innovation and 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 played in deck diversity. Yeah, sorry. I just want to say it's eighteen point seven five percent. Thanks, Dave. No, this deck should not hit the road right now. This can't be a conversation that we have immediately before the release of a new set. That's my hope, right? Or a conversation we have every week. Unless we're talking about a certain otter in certain singleton formats, this is an exciting time. No, it's no wonder that like the format is getting a little boring and homogenized right before a new set comes out. It's like as solved as it could potentially be right now. I mean, it's interesting that we're still seeing changes though. Like the, my issue is, we see other decks kind of move up and down, but we see Inverter stick around as the top dog. But like you said, Stan, we are seeing Ikoria come out soon. Hopefully that can shake things up. I, I, Mono Red and Spirits this 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 tournament, as opposed to two weeks ago, Mono Red and Spirits were way down in representation. Mono White's dropped down a little bit. We see kind of Sultai, Mono Green, the Lotus Breach deck still hanging around. And Mono Black is, is surging up a little bit with kind of the aggro and the vampire versions as well. What's making mono black better right now? Do you think? Do you think it's the the prevalence of like the Sultai decks and maybe the Demir removal, where it can with with Thoughtseize as well for Demir against Demir rather, and the recursion of its creatures, it kind of invalidates the removal. I do. Yeah. I mean, I think it has a deck that breaks up breaks up combo with because it has discard effects, and then also its creatures recur, so you can't really kill them, and you know it's not like they're blocking all that much, so. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably part of it. I think sometimes it's hard to say that, like, these are correlated things necessarily. Like, there sure. could be a, re- you know, sort of a random occurrence that black decks ended up in the top eight is partially random. But there's a lot of, of different things here in the top eight. But yeah, somehow mono black. Wrinkle. I think wrinkle is quite good. <laughs> it's always good. You just do whatever you want to do when you cast a wrinkle. If you're worried about a combo player, he makes them discard a card. If you're worried about a creature on the board, he makes them sack a creature. You want a Coca-Cola caffeine-free? He pours you one. Glug, glug. Is it 1987? Who drinks caffeine-free Coke? Does it, is that a product that's accessible now? I used to think that was the best taste in Coke. What? Like you thought it tasted appreciably different? Oh, yeah. No. I haven't had it in a long time. I don't know if I would stand by that, but I used to be convinced that caffeine-free Coke was actually the best Coke. I mean, Coca-Cola is the best Coke, but... Yeah. Well, I do think that Pioneer could use a little bit of caffeine right now because it does feel a little sleepy at the moment. So hopefully, Ikoria does shake it up, like Shane said. And I think that there's a lot of potential for that to happen, given the cards that you all talked about last week and some of the things we're talking about this week. For sure. 
Yeah, the timing of Ikoria is nice just because Pioneer is such a, such a new format still. We kind of forget that it's less than a year old and it was super dynamic at launch. That I think every new set, especially that we're in this era of very powerful and influential sets, it's going to have, I think, uh, a huge impact on this format. 100%. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm, I'm There's some additions to decks that I like right now, and I think there's going to be some new decks that just get created out of uh, the new additions to the Pioneer card pool. So let's go. Let's not talk about this dead format anymore. Let's move on to... Elop. <laughs> so, Dave, are you taking us into the dive down? I'm working on it. You guys need to. I can only take you so far. Stan needs to nod his head and say the magic words. Stay with us. So because we did our card evaluation criteria last week, and Dave said that he has no corrections to issue in today's part two episode, we're we're just going to jump into the cards and we'll let Dave start us off because he didn't get to tell us which cards he was excited about. So give me one, Dave. Give me one card. Well, I think that I have one card and I have a feeling like this is a card that you and I are of one mind about, Stan. <laughs> is it worth a card, David? It's maybe worth more than one card. Yeah, so it's one mind, two cards. <laughs> Just the way I like it to be. Because the card I want to talk about today, the first slot I'm using is, of course, the card of one mind, which is two generic mana and a blue, a sorcery, that says some very special words to me on it. It's two sentences of special words. One is, this spell costs two generic less to cast if you control a human creature and a non-human creature. And the second line just says, draw two cards. Nice. Nice. That's pretty good rate. Yeah, it's amazing rate. And I got to say, this is the only card for me that I saw on the spoilers of Ikoria that I actually went, whoa. Nice. If you want to know where I'm at in my life these days, I don't care about flashy mythics. Take your take your mutates and send them to another state. I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> you know me. There's two things that I like to do in Magic, and one of them is draw cards, and the other one is reduce costs. And that's I'm all out of ways to reduce costs. So I guess I'm drawing cards. <laughs> but I mean, look, drawing. Two cards for one CMC is really, really, really powerful. It's just raw card advantage. It's my favorite thing in the world. And um, I just think the card is really good. Stan, you want to hop in here for a second? Because I know that you probably wanted to talk about this card too. This card is is amazing. I love that as soon as this card came out, everyone was just like, oh, this is for young Pyromancer decks. <laughs> Which, you know, not to make this all about me, but this set really feels like a is it mage's dream. In part because of cards like this, you know? Yeah, like absolutely. Cards like this. The fact that Young Pyromancer essentially by himself makes this card live is huge, though it is worth noting that you can't only have the young PZ out. You actually have to have PZ and an elemental out yeah. when you cast a spell in order to get that benefit. Yeah. But that's in the Young Pyromancer decks, that's usually very easy to do. Yeah, so you got to opt after you play your Young Pyromancer or something like that. But I think, you know, 
just to be clear, I think this card is something that will define or power decks both in Modern and Pioneer, no doubt, in my mind. It's a card that provides so much value, hmm. and there are ways to play this, I think, in more decks than a card like Light Up the Stage gets played in, which I think is sort of the closest analog to what this card is in a lot of ways. So let's talk about that for a minute, because I think Light Up the Stage kind of snuck up on people a little bit originally. But by the end of the first couple of weeks of that format after Light Up the Stage came out, people were like, well, I'm so glad that they printed Ancestral Recall into into uh, you know current sets and into Modern and Pioneer. Pioneer didn't exist, but into modern basically, because the card is is that powerful. But I think that of one mind has the potential to be even better for a couple of really specific reasons. Mm. One is light of the stage is pretty easy to enable. Okay. But sometimes you get this glut where you draw a whole bunch of light up the stages and you're like, this is terrible because I have to wait multiple turns to cast this card. And sometimes in order to enable the cost reduction, you sort of have to give yourself a little bit of one of those tempo negative plays where maybe you fire off a gut shot at somebody at somebody's face when you were going to do something else. Maybe you attack with two creatures into one creature so that then, you know, losing one of your chump attacking basically. So you get a point of damage through so you can fire off light up the stage. I think that, this restriction's a little harder, but at the same time, you don't have to play these kind of like tempo negative plays sometimes to make it work. So that's one check mark for me that I think is a situation where of one mind could be better. The other thing is you just straight up draw the cards. And that is something that is super important yes. in the sense of chaining cards together. Because you can of one mind into of one mind into of one mind much more uh I think much more positively than if you all of a sudden want to cast like, I guess what I'm really trying to say is you don't want to cast two light up the stages in a turn if you can avoid it because it's so hard to work through all four cards in the exile pile on your, on your next turn where if you cast multiple of one minds, you just get all those extra cards. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes both ways. One of the perks of that first light up the stage is that your opponent can never interact with your exiled cards. Is it a perk? You're playing an aggressive deck. It's not like you really care about the, being thought seized all that much. That's true. Yeah. I mean, that that is like a corner case for sure where they, they can't make you discard your cards. They know what the cards are off of Light Up the Stage, though, which is a little bit annoying. I mean, it's it's never game-breaking, but I just think it's one of those things where, like, I would rather have cards in my hand where if I choose not to cast them this turn, I don't have to. Yeah. You can play this in a deck with cards that have high CMCs. It was very hard to do that with Light Up the Stage. Sure. That's fair. So I think that there's a chance that, that this is better. And like Stan said, you know, I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to fit into blue-red decks naturally. It's one of my favorite types of decks to play. We all know it's Stan's favorite type of deck to play. I do think the difference is here, you have to play it in a deck that's a little bit more aggressive because you're going to have creatures floating around to get this card to work. And so you're an attacking deck, right? So I've seen people talk about things like, you know, is it... Does it go into a Delver deck where you're turn one Delver into turn turn two Terramander plus of one mind? Great turn two, right? That can totally work. It's also got the young Pyromancer interaction that I think a ton of people were excited about after that was pointed out online. Uh, I'm, I imagine we're all going to jam these all together into one deck, essentially, potentially. But, um, you know, it's been a while since I've tried to play Delver. I also know that Delver is not necessarily like a threat that has proven itself in modern. But I think that there are analogs that are going to make this this work. 
Delver loves to pop up every once in a while and just say, hey, remember me? Yeah. It's me, Delver. One other application I think might be in certain blue-white Stoneforge decks, because Stoneforge Mystic is not a human, uh, but you can maybe play it with like a Snapcat after a Snapcaster Mage, maybe along with a Mutavault. I can see that possibly, possibly making the cut. Especially like even if like Stoneforge gets killed, you still have a germ out there. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, that's also not a human. Yeah, and then you can play this maybe at instant speed with Teferi Time Raveler, possibly. Nice. Yeah, I just think when it comes down to it, this card is super powerful and uh, definitely my favorite card in the set. I can't wait to see where it gets a home so that I can abuse it and go from there. (laughs) <laughs> maybe the is it phoenix pioneer deck that runs young pyromancer instead of thing in the ice yes i have some other thoughts about is it phoenix coming up later cool but i do think that this is the type of card that gets powered by that deck as are in that deck as well so super awesome card i think it's hard to disagree with it being one of the best cards in the set maybe we can rebrand our show <laughs> <laughs> of three mind the of one mind cast hmm <laughs> mm. Dave, as long as we're talking about blue cards, I got a blue card for you. Okay. And I was prepared to talk about this last week and it just never came up, but I was determined to to jam it into the notes this week too, because I think there are thoughts to be thunk. And that is regarding the card Shark Typhoon. I'm so happy you waited for me to talk about (laughs) this card. (laughs) Five and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create an XX blue shark creature token with flying where X is that spell's converted mana cost. I don't think I'll ever use that ability because what I'd like to do is cycle this card for X one blue. Discard this card. Draw a card. And when you cycle Shark Typhoon, create an XX blue shark creature token with flying. This is Sharknado. TM, TM, TM. So here's the thing about this card. I think it could be playable if you just completely ignore that first line of text and only think about that cycling ability. I have a hot take. I think it's playable even with the other line of text. In it. Wow. Ooh. Really? David, cool down. Well, I mean, it's not playable without cycling, to be clear. Of course. I just think that it's not going to be unheard of for people to get this into play and then cast a cryptic command and get an air elemental off of their cryptic command as well. You know, like Hmm, maybe so we'll see. I think the reason this card is possibly worth testing, or as I said last week, I wouldn't be embarrassed to test it is because the creature both flies and it can't be countered. And this isn't a spell that you're casting either. You're using an ability. Mm -hmm. So unless we start to see more people using stifle effects, like disallow and pioneer or nimble nimble obstructionist, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the other cycle card that's great this feels like it could be a nice way for control decks to hold up interaction and when there's no interaction just make an uncounterable threat it's cool like i mean just making making a card at end step you know off the cycle making a flying creature essentially sort of hasty pretty cool this is a long game plan card i think though like you you have to do what you got to cast this for six to make an air elemental like you have to cycle it for six to make an air elemental that's probably pretty reasonable out of out of blue red as like a a threat to have in the deck i don't know how many you actually play yeah of this like do you have like two in your deck just because it's sort of a card neutral threat it's a little bit you know what card it reminds me of a little bit in a weird way is uh crackling drake Hmm. Uh uh-huh where it's kind of like okay 
it's not that it's not counterable, but you get a card back immediately for playing this giant flying threat out of a out of a spells deck. Right. It's as if Cryptic Command read, draw a card, make a body. Yeah, that's true. Four mana for a 2-2 flyer. So, okay, so I want to like this card a lot too, right? But it's even the cycle is not exactly cheap. It's like X1 blue. So you'd even get a 3-3 three, three out of it. You have to have five mana up. I think that's what I just said about an air elemental for six. I know, but I'm just saying, like, what? How how are you? How are you getting? But why do you need to make a three three? Why do you need to play this card at all? Like, it's like, what? Like, is this worth a card in your deck? Like, what kind of deck is going to play this with five and a blue as the enchantment? That's my point. Like, I don't think the deck that wants to play this ever wants to tap out for a six man enchantment. Yeah, I think I think it'll happen. 5% of the time or 10% of the time where somebody gets so far ahead and top decks this with nine lands up and it's just like, all right, I'm, I'll play it. Like, that's fine. And then and then every spell they have is a shark is the thing after that. So if they land this threat with counter magic, then they can get through some real attrition. So it, that's why it costs so much. I mean, I think this deck is, again, this is a different blue-red spells deck card in my mind. This is a nice finisher to have an option for in in blue moon i think sometimes if you want to play a fair kind of blue moon game instead of a non-interactive one or over the top combo version you can you can play this and grind people out with it maybe blue black also yeah i yeah i don't like it for blue white very much because you're counting on wraths yeah it's a control the board all right We'll see. I, I think this card is good, too, for what it's worth. I just think it's like a one-of or two-of. It's not a four-of. Like, Of One Mind is going to be a card that somebody's going to be talking about wanting to ban soon, and this is just a very good tool in your toolbox, mm-hmm. I think. Should we be the first people to tweet it? Set just came out, already sick of On One Mind. No, because people are going to be sick of the card that Shane wants to talk about next, much sterner than they're going to be sick of Of One Mind. You think so? Yeah. You think you think Kinnon Border... Bo- Kinnon Bonder prodigy yep is they're gonna be sick of kinnon yep i loved him and as good as it gets he really played off of jack nicholson really well wasn't he mad about you too wasn't that paul riser i thought, no, I thought he, greg kinnear was like their buddy what tv show was paul was greg kinnear in i don't know okay so we got greg kinnear bonder prodigy <laughs> green blue Legendary creature, human Kinnear, um, human druid. Whenever you tap a non-land permanent for mana, non-land permanent, okay? So it's not just a creature. You add one mana of any type that permanent produced. It also has an activated ability, five green, blue. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, It's also a 2-2. Okay, there's so much text in this card that I read all of Greg Kinnear's Wikipedia article while you were reading it out loud. <laughs> the card doesn't even look like Greg Kinnear. Well, they messed up. They did not give the art person the correct the correct direction. So we have this we have this cheap creature that enables your mana creatures and other mana producing non land permanents to make more mana. So you have things like Mox Amber, Astrolabe, Chromatic Eggs. You know, etc. I can see this being more useful in modern than pioneer, perhaps, because you have your Arkham's Astrolabe, you have your Mox Amber, you have your Chromatic Star, you have your Chromatic Sphere, you have that kind of stuff that that always annoys people in these artifacty type decks. Um, but there's going to be some viability in pioneer, I think. 
You know who has really good mana in Pioneer? Hmm. Teamer. Mm -hmm. And this with, uh, what's that elf that it's green, red hybrid mana. When it enters, it makes green, red. Oh yeah. It's, uh, no, we have to tap it. You have to tap it. Yeah. You have to tap it to make, to make Kinnon go. Well, hear me out. Okay. Turn one land or elves turn two land Bernie tree emissary tap your two first lands to cast this. Then you tap that land or elves for a burning tree emissary. Okay. I mean, sure. I, I love it. Okay. And that's it. That's the deck. <laughs> I think people are going to be looking to do stuff that's a little more broken with this card. Unfortunately, the big chat that I've seen from people online and in, in, including like Yeoman five, like who's a well-known kind of magic online grinder and people in our Slack channel is Kethis mm-hmm. plus yeah. Kinnon, which is apparently totally wild. And Amber is probably just a free roll in it. And yeah. Yeah, Kethis combo with this, certainly dangerous. Um, people seem to like the Kethis combo. So this will come into play there as well. The extra mana off of your non-land permanents is why this is better a lot of times than like a ley line of abundance effect, because that's only your mana creatures. And this just ramps any non-land mana you've got going on. Interestingly, in modern, though, it doesn't add on to your Urza mana. Because Urza is like the source of the mana and the artifact is the non-land permanent being tapped. So it doesn't work out uh, quite so well there. I don't think Urza needs that to work out quite so well. So I'm glad it doesn't. Yeah, it would be awful if this made Urza even better, for sure. For like mana dork decks, though, you you kind of have to have like two other mana dorks in play in order for this to be better than like a regular mana dork. So I'm not sure it's going to get there in like a ramp style deck, which is probably good because I think there's plenty of options for ramp already. Uh, I think this this kind of plays into more of a, a combo and combo-y engine with, with eggs and astrolabes or mox ambers, and that's a little bit questionable to me. So after you cast your Burning Tree Emissary, you can, <laughs> you can surge in a Reckless Bushwhacker and okay. swing, swing for eight on turn two. Oh, well, that's pretty nice. But then you're also what isn't it bushwhacker? So that's red. So you're doing you're doing teamer, and you hit all three colors rather early. Yeah. Okay. Well, you only need you only need the burning tree emissary to produce the red to surge in your bushwhacker. Oh man, we got there. Don't even run red mana. Just just rely on burning tree. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Can I also just remind you that you could play gilded goose over Lanawar elf and then get different mana if you needed it. Just saying. Let's do it. I think the f- the five blue green activated ability is kind of just gravy. Um, I don't. I mean, it costs seven, so perhaps in some decks that ability is super relevant. I think most of the time it probably won't be, unless it's part of a combo engine. Like maybe you're producing uh, a arbitrarily large amount of mana, or you're looping a bunch of mana, and you're quickly getting to let's say seven, and then you're tutoring five cards deep for a non-human creature. You want to put it onto the battlefield. So there's there's going to be some options there too. I think I don't want to overlook that ability. Yep. Card is good. Yeah, it's a Simic Mythic. So as everyone says, let's just 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 buy, just pre-order that and you're good to go. Yeah. And as we've demonstrated, it can just go into any type of deck. Any deck. Yeah. I also wanted to give a little bit of a preview of something we're going to be talking about later. So our uh, listeners in the Slack channel, spearheaded by 
KZ did another Sleeve Believe Heave poll of uh, listeners of the Dive Down Nation, and Kinnon was one of two cards that was more than 50% double sleeve in both Pioneer and Modern. And just a reminder, when we say something is double sleeve, we say that that is so good that it is bad, and we actually hate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Part of that might be trauma from all the blue-green cards that have ruined magic over the last year. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't... This isn't quite as just inherently powerful as, you know, uh, Oko, as Uro. Uro. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it has more than three letters in the name, so it can't possibly be quite as good and efficient as those two. Yeah, but believe this card. So we've got another blue card up next that Dave has has identified i do so last time i think i had a card that was sort of inherently powerful and this one i think is kind of more like a fun one that i i kind of enjoy and hope opens up a new deck archetype almost and that is slither wisp that's my that's my favorite house in harry potter (laughs) yeah i took that whole online test and they said that my patronus was a slither wisp it was really disappointed um So it is blue, black, black. So it's three CMC, all colored for an elemental nightmare. And it has flash. And it says, whenever you cast another spell with flash, you draw a card and each opponent loses one life. It is a three, two. Mm -hmm. I will admit when the first time I saw this card, I thought it also had flying because it's a little bit got art of a thing that looks like it would be flying. It does not have flying. Just swing in with it and... Just test people. (laughs) Yeah, just see what happens. It's a lot worse than I originally thought. But I think that the cool thing here is that this is a card that draws cards, so I love it. It also does a little bit of weird draining, which is a nice bonus. Okay, so if if you swing in with a card and you say, I'll fly over for three, is that cheating? Uh, It's angle shooting for sure. It's definitely angle shooting. I would not do that. I would not do that. Don't do that. So what if you say two in the air? Like you're asking a question? Ooh, ooh. So what you're saying is I would like to say that this card has one less power than is printed on it, and in exchange, <laughs> I'm giving it flying. Can we not take away from my no. Slither Wisp time for like... You're playing Assault Formation. Ah, <laughs> right. Don't take away from my Slither Wisp time to do like Shane's Angle Corner. Okay. <laughs> Didn't you miss me, Dave? Of course. I hope you guys missed me too. I feel like the spice is on tonight. Um, I'm mostly interested in this card because I think it opens some new directions for blue black in both modern and pioneer, because there's a lot of cool payoffs for that are with cards with flash, especially in the last year or so, you know, I'm thinking about cards like one of Stan's favorites, Brian Bourne cutthroat What's up? of that card, yeah. brazen borrower. Uh, we have that new octopus that does the mutate thing. Uh, that has Flash, Snapcaster Mage, Spell Stutter Sprite. Those are all cards that I think are reasonable and good cards to try to play. I think that the thing that this really opens up or for fun and and kind of like we'll see if it becomes a good deck is, you know, um, Shota Yasaoka was sort of known for playing these blue-black quote-unquote fairies decks for a long time yeah. that are sort of fairies decks and sort of not fairies decks and have a little bit of flash, but I feel like it could take that that whole archetype and push it more towards a like draw go hold up hold up counters and interaction and then play flash threats with cards that pay it off instead of just being like flashing creatures and his threats. They do little things on their own. 
So I think it's a cool card. Uh, I think it's a draw car engine that costs a little, costs no mana, which is kind of nice, even though you um, you have to invest another card in order to get a card out of it. But still, I think it's got some some possibilities. This is going to sound very hypocritical based on another card I'm going to try to bring up a little later, but I actually think this card is pretty bad. Oh, no. And, come and on. let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let me okay. tell you why. It's three mana for a 3-2, which I think is pretty bad rate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I, can, I, can I do three mana for a 3-1? <laughs> I would play that card. But, okay, so three <laughs> mana for a 3-2, and this card doesn't do anything on its own. So as, as soon as it eats a shock, you're just like you're so far behind. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's like a s- inherently slam donkey kind of card, but I do keep feeling like going Brineborn Cutthroat into this card being in your deck could be kind of a core of something with a little bit of, of fatal pushes and ops and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I can maybe see it making the cut in like standard or historic. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is fatal push historic legal? I don't know. No. Okay. Not. Well, then maybe this is a standard card. Is, is Brazen Borrower still in standard? I don't know. Different podcasts. Yes. In any case. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. With cards like Omen of the Sea and some of the other flash cards in the set, um, I can s- maybe see it like worth a card in some of more low-powered formats, but like I don't know if this is how you want to spend three mana in a, even a place like Pioneer, where like your opponent's three mana turn is Gideon or Heliod or... like functional game winning spell yeah it's true definitely for modern it does not it does not apply pressure by the by turn four or put you in a position to win a game by turn four which i think makes it pretty rough so maybe i'm just dreaming but i did think it was a cool card and a cool design and might give blue black something to do that is a little more aggressive a little more tempo-y how about we compare it to the card i wanted to bring up which kind of feels like it's a kindred spirit to this one sure and that was Cunning Nightbonder. Mm-hmm. What a name. It's a two-mana spell, hybrid Demir mana. Mm-hmm. It's a 2-2 two, two flash human rogue. Spells you cast with flash cost one generic mana less and can't be countered. Ooh. So I had this card on my spoiler list as well. Yeah. Part of the reason I ended up pulling it out is because I felt like this was a card that sort of didn't do anything on its own. It didn't present a threat. It didn't help you draw extra cards. But I did wonder for a little bit if these cards all went in one deck together of some kind, where this is the top of the curve and stuff below it is lower, but they don't really interact that well because it does not reduce the cost of Slitherwisp right. at all. Right. But, yeah, I mean, clearly... I feel like these are sort of signpost cards that they're saying like, hey, we want to try to make a deck that's blue-black flash. Yeah. What, what do you think? Do you want to try blue-black flash here? Yeah. I wonder if it's just going to be a limited archetype. Well, I mean, this is a rare and uncommon, so I don't, I don't think so. But it definitely could be a standard-y archetype instead of a, mm-hmm. a more powered format. Yeah. Um, but that card was definitely on my radar too, and I ended up deciding that I want to talk about this one instead because I love drawing cards. You know me. I like the spell stand. It's, you know, it's a fair cost. It's a bear. So on its own, it's a flash bear with not ridiculous mana requirements because of the flexibility of the hybrid. It enables the rest of your deck, hopefully, or a lot of the rest of your deck. Um, and like you said, it's kind of, it's a signpost uncommon, probably 
for limited. Mm-hmm. So there may be some role players that we might have overlooked in kind of our initial spoiler pass. There's plenty of rogues. There's plenty of modern rogues. You know, our, our buddy Scott um, in the nation, he has a rogues deck. Mm-hmm. So maybe this fits right in there. I'm sure it does because there's a lot of there's a lot of flash in there. Um, can't be countered is always quite nice. Yeah, can't be countered. The fact that it just turns spell stutter sprite into a one mana spell, it turns omen of the sea into actual ponder, mm-hmm. or is it preordain? I don't know. I never cast either of those two. Also, spell queller is now a two mana spell with this on the board. Wah wah wee wah. And like as Shane mentioned, this could just be blue blue. It doesn't have to be in a blue-black deck. Yeah. Maybe I picked the wrong end. Maybe we can both brew up blue-black flash decks and... See what happens. Do some mirror matches. I like Spell Queller for two mana, I'll, I'll say for sure. I've, I've played against people in Pioneer doing like a, a blue-red, is it flash deck with plenty of counter spells, with flash creatures. Certainly frustrating. Um, even running this, like you said, Stan, without the black requirement, it, it might have a home. All right, Shane... You want to take us in a different archetypical direction? Sure. We're kind of because I had the you know three cards last week plus some some quick hits. This is not anything on my top tier, but Sky Cat Sovereign, uh, white blue, for a elemental cat one one flying, but Sky Cat Sovereign gets plus one plus one for each other creature you control with flying. It also has an activated ability to white blue, create a one one white cat bird creature token with flying. Uh, the token for these, by the way, uh, rules. So it's a super awesome token. <laughs> so pick those up. Half the reason to play this card. Yeah, I mean, if you, the the first time I can I can get a, a cat bird token out there, I'll be happy. So. This card already essentially existed as Pride of the Clouds. Um, It's a Dissension card, so it's not Pioneer legal. I had a different activated ability. This creature, Skycat Sovereign, uh, makes tokens more easily. I think you had to, like, reveal Pride of the Clouds from your hand to make a token. So you kind of had to have, like, two, I think. It was kind of questionable. I I think blue-white spirits or like a blue-white flyers type deck can use this card, but I'm not sure it's like some game-breaking two-drop. There's not a lot of room at the two-drop slot. In spirits, you have have, uh, the Lord, you have the Pizza, Pizza Phantom, you have the sacrifice dude man all these names are escaping me selfless spirit yes selfless spirit supreme phantom supreme phantom the pizza phantom and um there's all there's 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 many there's uh rattle chains is it too so it's like finding room for this is not exactly easy so it might just be a role player like maybe you want to take your curve down and step up your aggression the the azorius decks right now are a little bit more controlling than the bant ones So typically you're running like some Teferi, you're running some main deck mystical disputes. You might have some Brazen Borrowers in there for some tempo plays. So this just helps you put the pedal down a little bit. It probably fits better into kind of like the budget Flyers deck that I talked about a few weeks ago in our our budget episode where you're not paying for Brazen Bower. You're not paying for Teferi. Uh, You are going to want to fit this in and just you know, keep the pedal to the metal and try to beat your opponent down with a big cat bird, elemental cat rather. You know what would be good with this card? Tell me. Dovin Grand Arbiter. 
Oh. Plus one until end of turn whenever a creature you control deals damage to a player, put a loyalty counter on Dovin. Minus one, create a colorless stopped or artifact creature token with flying and you gain a life. Yeah, there might be some interesting things I'm not thinking about. Like, you know, if it's some Thopter synergy, some, you know, cheap flyer ability. You you, you want this on the board when you have a hangerback walker blown up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think this could be a different direction for that deck other than Spirits, right? If for some reason you didn't want to be Spirits and you wanted to play Judge's Familiar and, uh, you know, effects like that, what's the blue one that's a pirate? The Siren Pirate that you can sacrifice. Oh, yeah. Storm. Yeah. Siren Storm Tamer, I think. Yeah, Storm Tamer. That's it. Yep. That that one plus uh, you can still run Spell Queller, but I think this is more like if you want your deck to be Empyrean Eagle and Brazen Borrower and this and Siren Storm Tamer for some reason, because it's all better activated abilities than the spirits have, this is a good way to go. And then you still get to run uh, Spell Queller, which is the best one as far as that kind of stuff goes. You just don't have to run the Lords then. It's a cool card. It's a it's an interesting card. I don't think it's breaking anything wide open. I'm not even sure it fits into some existing archetypes. So uh, I saw a funny comment on the nets. It was like, I can't wait to try this in blue white spirits and take it out quickly. <laughs> I think that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I think any card that makes Dovin playable that's that's breaking something. <laughs> I don't know if it makes Dovin playable. Quit trying to make Dovin happen. <laughs> All right, the next card that I have is another one that I'm not 100% sure on, but I think has some very uh, clear uses potentially, and that is Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, which is a one generic and a red instant that says Blitz of the Thunder Raptor deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the number of instants and sorcery cards in your graveyard. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. So I think this card is pretty simple, right? This is a card that if you put a lot of spells in your graveyard, Stan. Yes. If you play a deck that puts a lot of spells in your graveyard. I've, I have. I've never done that in my life. Then you can play this card. And so in my mind, that means we're back in sort of blue-red land again. Whether we are discarding cards to things like Cathartic Reunion or playing Ops or even Manamorphose, maybe, depending on what decks we're talking about. Um, I think that this card adds a new dimension to decks like that in that it can help you kill big creatures, which is very hard to do in blue-red shells right now because you kind of top out at effects like maybe in, for example, in Prowess, you just top out at nothing. Okay? In... um in Is It Phoenix in Pioneer, you top out at Lava Axe. Or not Lava Axe. Why do I always call it Lava Axe? Lightning Axe? Yeah. Because you just want to cast Lava Axe, Dave. I love casting Lava Axe. Uh, in Blue Moon style decks, you top out at Cryptic Command or Magmatic Sinkhole as your cards that kind of control large threats. I think this gives you another dimension, and the key to that is that it exiles something that you get rid of. And so it gives you a new tool in those decks that lets you get rid of a card like Uro, mm -hmm. or in the, in the space of, you know, I think it's a little bit harder to fit into a deck like Prowess, but it lets Prowess have an active out against Wormcoil Engine. No! Which would be a pretty sweet thing to have access to out of the sideboard sometimes. Dave, I'm sold. Did that do it for you? Wormcoil Engine did it for me, yeah. Uro was a pretty good case. Wormcoil Engine is, I think, the best case. 
Yeah. Worm Coral Lantern is the best case. I agree. Oh, I hate that card. Uh, you know, friend of the show, the Pen Sword, who I've never spoken to, but seems like a nice guy. You've chatted him. I've chatted him before when we played on, on Magic Online. I saw him talking on Twitter about it being a possible alternative to Magmatic Sinkhole and Modern. I think there's a chance it fits into decks like this in both of these formats. It just depends on where you want to go. I even think there's a little tiny chance that it gives you a shot at, uh, it gives, is it Phoenix a shot at being a thing in Pioneer? Maybe again, just because it fills, it shores up some bad matchups for it. I don't know. I'm always looking for a reason to want to try to play that deck. But I, I think that the, you know, the Exile Clause is huge. Being able to kill a high loyalty Planeswalker is also huge. You, you know, you suddenly have an out to something that has six or seven loyalty counters on it if you're playing the deck the right way. Mm-hmm. It also lets you keep casting your Bedlam Revelers if you're in prowess. Like, it doesn't it doesn't get rid of the cards from your graveyard like a card like Magmatic Sinkhole would. Um, I just think this is a good card to have around, and I'm kind of excited to play around with it. It has a ridiculous name. It's the type of name that makes me feel like they did not think this card was going to be good. <laughs> but uh, I think this card is going to be useful. Blitz of the Thunder Raptor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost like it more in Modern, because in Pioneer, you still get to delve away a lot of important spells, including the blue decks. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't count Exile the way Crackling Drake does. Totally true. So I, I almost wonder if, like, even though you can dump a bunch of spells and decks in both formats, like, if this is actually more playable in modern for that reason. Yeah. Two mana is is a little much for a removal spell, but I don't know. Sometimes you're spending three for your magmatic sinkhole. Yeah. I just think the exile clause is gigantic. Yeah. And hitting planeswalkers is, is nice for two mana. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is, I, I like this card for modern, like you're saying, Stan. I, mean, I think that, like Dave was saying, the the blue decks sort of rely on bouncing typically for tempo. The red burn based removal can't keep up with some of the largest threats in the format. So, you know, you tag a primeval Titan with this, you're feeling pretty nice. Yeah, I just want to say, as far as Pioneer goes, I think it's important to remember that this targets planeswalkers. And there aren't that many options for red to target planeswalkers in Pioneer right now. Of course, there's lightning bolt and like regular burn spells. But you wish there was lightning bolt. Sorry, not lightning bolt. But there's you know there's burnish spells. Keep keep dreaming, keep dreaming, Dave. You we both want lightning bolts in Pioneer. Never going to happen. the The point I'm trying to make though is that you know lava axe doesn't target only targets creatures. Lava coil only targets targets creatures. So I think that just because of the fact that it can target planeswalkers as well, there's a decent shot that this finds a home in Pioneer because of that flexibility. But um, could be wrong. Yeah, I mean even against a deck like Junt. This feels like it improves the Junt matchup for blue-red decks so much. Hits Tarmogoyf and Liliana the Veil. Yeah. Cash it in early against a uh, Renin 6. Yeah, I think it's a good card. Do you think it actually makes cards like Thought Scour a little better than maybe even something like Serum Visions in certain modern decks? I mean, I don't think it would lead me to do that. I feel like every deck that you would play this in is already good at getting cards into the graveyard so the only one that i could see doing this is if i was playing something like that grixis deck that uh aspiring spike put together a while ago where i really want to cast like into the story or something like that where i really really need my graveyard to be full of cards or my opponent's graveyard to be full of cards in order to trigger off some of my spells and then thought scour can kind of help me push whichever way i need to yeah um 
I mean, if there was a deck that had better graveyard synergy, a la is it Phoenix, I could see that being part of it too, but that's just not hap- this is not gonna make that happen in modern, so But it's a Phoenix, another deck that runs Treasure Cruise, which that's at odds. Like I wonder are you swapping out Treasure Cruise? Is Treasure Cruise being swapped out for of one mind? I mean, I think it's a good question. I think it really comes down to... I, mean, I think this is a super powerful sideboard card for the most part to me. Yeah. And that that's what I'll mostly be looking at it as. And maybe in those matchups, you do take out some cruises. I mean, it's probably the best card in your deck in that theoretical Pioneer Is It Phoenix deck. But, um, you know, you got to do what you got to do to be able to kill Uro. And that's what it comes down to, I think. Speaking of raptors, Labyrinth Raptor is a creature in Elob. Yeah, yeah. Black-red for a Nightmare Dinosaur with Menace. Whenever a creature you control with Menace becomes blocked, defending player sacrifices a creature blocking it. And then it also has an ability to act on. Why not? Black-red creatures you control with Menace get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. And this is a 2-2. Two, two. Stan, you're just loving these, these, uh, these, these gold cards. Bears. These gold bears. I've been spending too much time with my cat. <laughs> is your cat a gold bear it's a two mana two two that's for sure oh so i don't know maybe i'm overthinking like the value of a two cmc creature but i think this card is interesting considering the amount of modern playables car- cards with menace there are already including Flameblade adept insolent neonate cabal therapist has always been looking for a home ever since that first modern horizons announcement even like glint sleeve siphoner you know one of the problems with siphoner was that you would attack with it and it would die quickly if you know opponent had like a couple of three threes out or whatever but now this gives you a good reason to attack with your menace creatures because it's already removing creatures just by turning itself sideways if your opponent decides to make the hard decision to block in the first place I mean, it's interesting. Almost all of those cards are legal in Pioneer as well. Cabal Therapist isn't, but the other ones all are. And so it makes me wonder if, you know, you're not really blocking in Modern all that much. Sure. Right? Sure. But in Pioneer, there's definitely matchups that come down to creature combat uh, interaction in that way. And so I could see it making a little bit more of an impact in that kind of shell, maybe. But... I mean, it's got to be in an aggressive shell. Like, it has to be about a deck that turns menace creature sideways. Yeah. And its activated ability is like an anthem, you know? So the fact that it, again, just keeps motivating you to turn these creatures sideways, and some of them are already kind of powerful to begin with, throw in some hollow ones and some discard spells for your uh, Flameblade Adept, Black Red Hollow one, hello? Do you think that when it all comes down to it, you and I will have fallen for two really cool gold <laughs> gold rares? that have different keywords on them. You you picked the Menace Lord, and I picked the the Flash Lord, basically. Yeah, we're going to end up playing an arena by the end of May. Against just these these two decks <laughs> against each other. Shane, what do you think? D- does this card make you want to cast a Menacing Dinosaur? I mean... You're usually the grounded one. Here's what I think. I think Menace is a slightly underrated keyword. Um, I think that Menace creatures do do quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of decent stuff with menace. You could make a menace deck. See what happens. I don't think it's like someone gonna. It's not gonna break things wide open. But I think that there's an, an option for this to see some play, and that's fun. 
I think it's a fun card. I don't know if it's going to make a new amazing archetype, but I think that Stan brewing up a menace deck is all I need out of this card. <laughs> That's hilarious. How much will you pay me to do it? I will give you uh, 10 Magic Online tickets to run the run through the league. All right. We got a deal. I'll, I'll, I'll stream it on Twitch to keep myself honest. You, have to, you can't stream it, though. Oh. <laughs> so, Dave, because you were gone last week, maybe you can have another one. The fans want to hear it. I know. Can I have another one that's just for me? Yeah. And a deck that only I care about that I'm, I think is not like a pillar? All right. Here it is. It is Swallow Hole. And I think this card might be garbage, but I also think there's a chance this card could be very nice. Swallow Hole, maybe you skipped over it. It costs one white. So single white, right? A single white. A single white mana, yes. It's a one CMC spell. It says, as an additional cost to cast this spell, tap an untapped creature you control. Then it says, exile target tapped creature. Put a plus one plus one counter on the creature tapped to cast this spell. Okay, Super complicated stuff. But what this says basically is it's a next snap effect at sorcery speed, unfortunately, for the low cost of white and tapping a creature you have. Stan, do you love when Dave goes to his mental archive and he's like, oh, that's a that's a next snap effect. And we're like, oh, cool. Cool. It is. Yeah. It's also not next snap because next snap is uh, destroy target attacking or blocking creature and this is exile target tapped creature but you know what I mean it's conditional it's assassinate with an exile it's stuff like that sure I never did the vintage cube so I have no idea what any of these cards are none of these cards are in your deck in vi- if these are in your deck in vintage cube maybe in pauper cube we're talking <laughs> so so look this card is almost certainly terrible but there's a few aspects of it that make me wonder if it could be good so it's a white one CMC white spell that exiles a target creature, right? All right, it's a target tap creature, but it's a target creature. Um, there's the, So that lets you get rid of things like the card I'm obsessed with right now, which is Uro and other big creatures after they attack you, which is maybe not something people do once they realize you have Swallow Hole. But at any rate, <laughs> let's say that you have a deck that wants your creatures to be targeted by spells, Anybody remember my favorite pet deck in Pioneer? Heroic? Yeah. And then maybe you have a creature that already wants tokens on it for some reason or another. Like, I don't know, maybe you you like a Dreadhorde Arcanist with an extra token on it or something like that to be able to cast your two CMC spells. So what I'm saying is that I think that this might fill a hole in the removal suite for Feather in Pioneer because it gives you a chance to kill some big creatures that you didn't used to be able to get around. Now, you got to take a hit from them first to make this work, which sucks. Yeah. But it is another sideboard option at best that I think could work here and there. And it's kind of the same thing as, as Reckless Rage, right? Now, Reckless Rage is more powerful, but this is something that lets you have an out and still get some value out of your heroic triggers, put a token on your Arcanist, like I said, and just be able to continue on your game plan while you t- stop a second to be able to kill somebody's giant attacking creature that was swinging into you. The creature that has attacked it is sorcery speed. Correct. A creature that you have gotten hit by or you've chump blocked or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Attacked. Yeah. There's some, there's a lot of conditional stuff going on here, right? Like you have to have a, like a vigilance creature or did an attack with your creature. 
Why do you have to have a vigilance creature? Well, I'm saying well, you don't have to. I'm saying yeah. you, if you have an untapped creature, so you want to have a creature that you can still attack with, perhaps. Or a creature that's just been summoned. Right. Sure. Exactly. In Pioneer, in Heroic, in Theory, you mentioned maybe this is a nice tool to hit Uro. Are there any other creatures that are really big in Pioneer that like you, you're worried about? Maybe Glorybringer? Yeah, I mean, it's basically anything that can't be killed by a Reckless Rage. So actually, Glorybringer is something that you can kill with Reckless Rage, but it's anything more than X4. Right now, there isn't a lot of answers. So maybe something out of like the Mono Green deck or, or Golgari Stompy. Yeah, Mono Green. I mean, we're talking if someone was to attack you with uh, Ishkana out of a out of a Sultai Delirium deck for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. But if you look at the cards that are at the top of you know, the decks that are at the top of the metagame there, there's a whole bunch of creatures that get to be bigger than that. And so having a chance to exile them, I mean, if someone attacks you with a Heliod, you can get rid of it with this. You know, if someone's on, playing mono white and on the beatdown side of that particular plan. Can you or would you use this maybe on turn two to deal with a mana dork? Yeah, probably. Although usually you would have a chance to shock that or do some kind of burn-based interaction, which might be better. But um, it's definitely an option to have. I do think, so with Uro in particular, if you're bringing this in to deal with Uro, it's kind of a losing battle since they've already gained six life probably Mm -hmm. and hit you for six. Right. Hopefully you're casting this, pumping your creature, or maybe swinging for lethal at that point. Yeah. But again, like you've done 26 damage to the opponent. So like things have to be going a-okay for you in every instance except Uro. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I do feel like there's a very low chance that this card gets here, but I, I'll say that, you know, when I was looking through the spoiler, this was maybe one of the only one CMC spells that I was like, hey, maybe, maybe, and in this one particular deck, it could be useful. So um, we'll see. I do think that there was a point in time where Pioneer was a format that figuring out a way to contort your deck to make conditional removal spells good was a thing to do in that format i'm not sure that's what that format is right now but at least we can agree that the one cmc spells in nicoria have range like yeah. mysterious egg <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. of one mind nice i have a one cmc spell that i thought was kind of interesting okay because you play in multiple formats and that's the ozolith Single generic mana for a legendary artifact. Whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on the Ozolith. And then at the beginning of combat on your turn, if the Ozolith has counters on it, you may remove all counters from Ozolith onto target creature. Hmm. Hardened scales technology, and maybe even is it and soul technology. How does it work with modular very very well shockingly is what i would say it's like insane and modular because you get both the modular trigger and this effect whoa yeah so it doubles all the counters and then it and then at the beginning of combat you get to redistribute all the counters again bees on the what now that is good it's pretty good right that is nice remember how that deck used to run mox opal (laughs) i recall that spell yeah we found something to fill the spot not really. I kind of like this in Insoul just because they're playing Hangerback Walker. They're playing that creature that taps to put counters on all of your creatures. So, you know, it, it can be insold. And it can be insold. But I love the idea of sacrificing your Hangerback to make a bunch of 1 1s and having the 1 1 counters to put on something else. 
And you don't even have to move them. Like you can like you can stack stack up counters on your Ozolith and then like skilled animate it or insole it. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah. So it's got all the one one counters on it, and then you make it a five five. Yeah. And then it gets all the one ones. Perfect. Please. I love it. I hate it. I'll play it. Well, I guess you, you do play in Soul. I was gonna say you're not much of a hard, you're not like a hardened scales person, but no. What what I like about this in, in Soul Stan is that it's still on plan. Yeah. Like it's an artifact, it's a cheap artifact. Yeah. Like it doesn't just suck. So it can be it can be it can be animated and it can do work for you otherwise to like counteract removal spells a little bit. Yeah, and, and it also is on plan with that serpent that comes in with a bunch of counters. Stone coil, yeah, for sure. It sort of forces you, I think, to play like the Steel Overseer and Hangerback Walker plan, which in Soul kind of goes back and forth on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe it just makes that version of the deck more consistent and and go taller. What about the black green deck in Pioneer? With the snakes and everything. Like black green scales? Yeah. Yeah, this is like less on plan, right? Because it's just an artifact. But it's certainly what might be a nice sideboard addition where you're like, okay, fatal push dot deck. Like I've got my Ozolith out here to sort of help me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this card seems brutal. And you know, if you have a death touch counter on something or a piece of paper that says whatever on it, then this also they also go onto this. Oh, that's a good point. Like the the keyword counters yeah. works. I mean, I don't know how many of those cards are constructed playable, but yeah. Are are minus one minus one things also counters? Like if if something with minus counters on it dies, can you then like I think you have to move them. You can move it onto the Ozolith, and then can you move those? It says onto target creature. Can you like put them on your opponent's creatures? Like you're like, okay, Soul Scar Mage dot deck. Wow. Like your minus one minus counters are getting moved around. Like this is this is real edgy, but kind of fun. Like this is definitely fun. It's all targets get moved at once onto one creature. Uh, so you okay. don't you don't get to distribute them. It's it's everything that's on Ozolith goes on to something else, and then after that creature dies, all those counters go back to Ozolith, and then they go back to something else. So it's well, hold on, hold on. In, in chain scenario, if you put a negative one counter on opponents' creatures, those counters don't go back to the Ozolith because a creature you control had to die. That's right. And Soulscar is a very popular card in both formats. I mean, I'm not saying this this is not anti-soulscar tech, but <laughs> it is. It's canon, <laughs> but it's fun. For the the one out of every 8 games when I'm playing Soulscar Mage where the the shrinking ability comes up. It's so good when it does though. Yeah. Dave, we save this one for you. Neutralize. You save that for me? I save that for Stan. Oh, did Everett talk about Neutralize? Let's just talk about it again, Dave. You tell me what you think about Neutralize. I don't think we did. I really want Stan to talk about this card. So Stan, what do you think about this card? I think it's cancel with just the slightest of upside in that it cycles. I think that's a bigger upside than you might think. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, when are you cycling it, though? When you don't need a counterspell. Which is when? When you have other counterspells. Yeah. Okay. Or, um, you know, maybe, maybe they're too, they're super aggro and you're like, okay, this three mana counter spell. I don't know. I mean, just, it's, it's definitely, I think a, a card that is going to, I think, and this is crazy for me to say, I think this is going to change the way that control decks are built a little bit because the more that you give a control deck optionality, 
which is a fun way of saying options. You want to sound you want to sound real smart. You say optionality. Um, it gives it gives control decks more options, right? And that's one thing that I have seen control decks like. And I've mentioned this a number of times. You know, that's what that's cast out be playable. Yeah, this this card is not modern playable though. I just want to be clear about that. It is not modern playable. I've heard good players talk about it as like definite new option for control decks in modern and pioneer. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like I I think it's definitely an option for in pioneer. It's I think it's very good in pioneer and will do what you said. It will it will I mean certainly I think that absorb just like disappears now if that was still being run in blue eye control. Like I I think unless you're in a very burn heavy meta, you probably want the cycling over the life gain out of that and also not having used white mana for it. Yeah. But this card is not that far from Archmage's charm mm-hmm. if you really squint at it in modern. And so I think that if you're thinking about playing natu- neutralize, you're probably just running Archmage's charm in modern because it lets you draw two cards sometimes. So uh, that's why I think, I do think that this can do a lot in Pio. I don't think it's going to do much in mod. Mode. <laughs> <laughs> mod. Mod. The mods versus the Pios, my favorite gang rivalry. Yeah. But Stan hates it. I thought that you might be interested in this card, but also it's not for modern, so I can understand why you're not that interested. Yeah, it's, it's the reason is I just don't like cancel. Like that's often one of the ways I evaluate counter spells. And Archmage's Charm gets around that for the same reason Cryptic Command does, is just because it does like so much more. It, it potentially gets you up on cards. Yeah. And this doesn't. This is still always going to be a one for one for three mana or maybe two mana, but then you could play a different card. I mean, I could see plenty of opportunities for this to be a mana tempo tempo advantage, but that's what you absolutely want out of your counter spells at a base level, right? Is you want them to cost less than the spells you're you're countering typically, or you want to have the ability to get some side benefit. Like you said, Dave, with Archmage's Charm, you can draw a couple cards, you can steal that uh Death Death Shadow and kill it. Death Shadow, yeah, that uh Aether Vial. You know what I kind of hate about it? I, I think I I think I know what it is. It's not a sideboard card. You you have to play this in your main deck, and I think it's going to be really bad on the draw. So on the one hand, that means you can side it out if you're on the draw post board, but there's going to be like enough game ones where you're on the draw, and this just feels really stupid. That's why it has cycling. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I, I know it's not powerful enough for modern. At least I believe that it's not powerful enough for modern, but I do think it helps Pioneer out a good amount. If and when Pioneer gets a viable blue-red control deck, if it runs this card, I will play this card and try that deck. Now here's here's two cards that go in that deck. N- Neutralize is one card that goes in that deck, and the other one is Blitz of the Dragon Face, or whatever the card I was talking about a minute ago. That's what I'm calling it. An opt. Yeah. All right, we got about five minutes left for cards. Let's let's do some quick hits. Okay. Let's let's do shovel cuz shovel is a is our black green mythic. It's a wonderful herb that you can put in meats or desserts. It's amazing. Really? You can put you can put shovel in that? Mhm. Shovel it. Oh man. Um so shovel is black green. That's it. Black and green. Legendary Human Rogue, 1-3 Death Toucher at the beginning of your upkeep. If your opponents control no permanence with a bounty with bounty counters on them, put a bounty counter on target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. So you get one counter on their creatures or planeswalkers. That's it. So they have to have none at all. 
Whenever a permanent an opponent controls with a bounty counter on it dies, you gain three life and draw a card. That's good. But this is slow. Yeah. And I think some people seem to like this card. It's a mythic. It's in Golgari colors. I don't know if I like this card very much. Dave shaking his head. What do you guys think? Is this an okay card? Am I am I overlooking something? I don't know why this this card was like thirty dollars originally when the when it was spoiled and it's gone way down. What am I missing? I, I don't know. I don't think it's good either, to be honest. This might be a very good commander. A. B, I agree it's super slow, but its ceiling is just insane card advantage, where either your opponent just is no longer casting creatures into the board because they have a shovel that they can't answer or if it sticks around and maybe you can like take out their second creature with a fatal push or cast down or whatever then you start to like accrue a bunch of card advantage from the fact that it's either virtual or on the board yeah you just got to be playing a lot of removal spells or compelling your opponents to block with their bounty cards through some kind of board situational stuff to make it work right like how many times is it going to trigger a game? Twice? Like, is that worth it if it happens twice? I mean, it's not like you, you can't attack with this guy. I mean, he's a 1-3. I guess he's a good blocker. But um, I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it's a game ender because, because of the virtual card advantage. Because your opponents can't cast creatures when this is out. And then you have, you know, four to maybe eight hand disruption spells. Well, why can't they cast creatures, though? You play this, they put a bounty counter on it, and then they have to kill it. So it's like, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. You have to be, you have to like continually be drawing into removal. I just don't see the bounty counters on this aren't like the death counters on Tetsamok or whatever, where it's like, eventually I'm going to play this card and wrath you. I totally thought this was Tetsamok. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you wish. <laughs> Tetsamok was ridiculous. Um, yeah, I just don't see this card getting there. If Grimflayer is not seeing play, I don't see how Shovel sees play. Yeah, me either. Tetsamok, though. I don't know. Bring it back. Dave, what was the card you had? Uh, I was just going to talk about one of the Planeswalkers in the set that we haven't talked about yet because mm-hmm. I think it is sweet. Uh, again, like a lot of the cards I'm spoiled and talked about here, I'm not sure it's good, but I think it's very cool. Uh, Narset of the Ancient Way, which is right up my alley because it is one RWU. And for those not in the business, that's one generic red, white, blue. One Jeskai. Known as Jeskai. And here's what Narset does. Uh, Plus one, gain two life, add a blue, a red, or a white mana, and uh, spend this mana only to cast a non-creature spell. Minus two, draw a card, then you may discard a card. When you discard a non-land card this way, Narset of the Ancient Way deals damage equal to that card's CMC to target creature or planeswalker. Minus six, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this emblem deals two damage to any target. I don't hate it. It's cool. It's cool. It lets you play this and then cast an opt or a lightning bolt or a path to exile on the same turn. Uh, you can minus two it and discard something giant to uh, magmatic sinkhole or blitz of the raptor face. Somebody, <laughs> uh, I think the emblem is pretty bad. Like if you look at it next to Chandra <laughs> torch of defiance's emblem, you're like, what? Why? Um, but, uh, I feel like this is a really nice card and to have like a lower CMC planeswalker for Jeskai, I think it's cool. I don't know if this is anything more than a standard card to be honest, but, uh, I think it's also hard to play in standard because there aren't that many one CMC cards to take advantage of the plus one. But, uh, I think this is a cool card. 
at any rate. I agree. I think it's cool. I don't know if it's worth it to play yeah. Jeskai in Modern for this. Yeah. And I don't think this could even really see a ton of play in Pioneer. Like, if it's going to see play, it's like it's a modern card or maybe an even an older format. It's like a one of in your Jeskai control list where you're bridging or your Jeskai kind of like mid rangey list where you're bridging up to Teferi Hero of Dominaria. Mm-hmm. Right. But still pretty fun. Maybe Jeskai Through the Breach or another Jeskai combo deck where you want to actually loot cards away while doing like some damage in the process and now you're talking it could be like jeskai plus uh nahiri nahiri yes yeah then nahiri the harbinger list with emrakul uh-huh yeah that's where i was going um it's it's too bad it, it can't like fling that'd be probably a little bit too busted that seems pretty good yeah. <laughs> four mana discard emrakul do 15 damage to you the loot effect is a may ability so you can just draw a card you don't even have to discard yeah that's right. Yeah, I mean, for four mana, you should get the mana should get you a just card advantage for sure. That's insane. Have we ever seen that? I don't think we've seen anything written quite like that before, where it's like you may discard a card. And you can discard an Emrakul, deal 15. Deal 15. To a Tarmogoyf. Yeah, exactly. Very good. <laughs> as long as the Tarmogoyf doesn't have 14 other card types in the graveyard. Which it probably does. Let's oh. be honest. It always does. <laughs> Power creep is real. <laughs> All right, who's got another quick hit? Okay, let's quickly talk about Dranith Magistrate. One and a white for a human wizard. Um, your, cre- your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. It's a 1-3. I think this is a pretty nice sideboard card for modern humans. Um, it's I think its primary use case is against Dredge. It, it shuts down Conflagrate, which is one of the primary ways Dredge gets your creatures off the board or, or finishes you off. What this does, I think, is it frees up Meddling Mage, to then name other kind of long game spells that can be really annoying against humans, like let's say Life from the Loam or like flying death touch threats like Stinkweed Imp. And that keeps things clear for your Mantis Riders. So you stick the Dranath Magistrate, you're naming stuff like Life from the Loam, you're naming stuff like Stinkweed Imp with your meddling mages, and your, your, your Mantis Rider, your other creatures are able to, to kind of keep getting in there and hopefully sealing the victory. So I think, you know, just shutting down Conflagrate is really good. And you already can do that with stuff like Grafdigger's Cage, right? But this is a human. And so it's on game plan in a better way, I think. Well, Grafdigger's Cage also deals with all the creatures coming out of the graveyard by themselves. Sure. But go wide decks are already a pain for Dredge, especially with how big the creatures and humans gets. So I think that this is probably better than a cage in my opinion but cage might have wider application than this but we'll see i mean this also handles um some other graveyard spell strategies like storm and underworld breach which of course cage does as well but again it's on game plan so you're not taking a turn off to cast an artifact you're casting a human you're pumping your champion of the parish it's getting pumped with you know thalia's lieutenant and your your clock is increased also deals with Uro and Kroxa. Mm-hmm. Also really here for it, right? Yeah, for sure. I think in, in Pioneer, I think this is likely going to find a place. I think there's some potential humans decks, given all the new humans in Akoria. There's probably like some white black 
decks that are going to be showing up uh, or in white decks that just want like a new angle of attacking the graveyard as well. It might not just be humans. So I think Pioneer, there's a place, uh, potentially main deck, and I think Modern is likely going to be a sideboard card for humans. And maybe other uh, white-based creature decks there. Should we talk about the lands? Oh, yeah. I I think it's It's time. time. And these lands are nice. The triomes, baby. The art, especially. Triomes. Especially that that comic book borderless art. That's nice. Those look really quite nice. I agree. They're very strange to me, but all right, (laughs) let's let's describe them. Triomes. It is our cycle of rare lands for Ikoria. And here's what uh, one example one does. This is Ralgrin Triome. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> totally does. <laughs> Ralgrin's off the tongue. Yeah. Ralgrin's right off the tongue. <laughs> uh, it's, a la- it's a typed land, and the land type is Island Mountain Plains. Huh. There's some little reminder text on here that says, tap, add blue, red, or white. And then it says, Ralgrin Triome enters the battlefield tapped, and it has cycling three. So it is a cycling tri-land that always enters the battlefield tapped that are land-typed, so they are fetchable. They sure are. Uh, what What are we looking at here? What the heck? You know what I just noticed? Yeah, what do you notice, Dan? The art on the full art comic book version ones create like a little diorama. Like a panorama? Yeah, if you put them side by side. Oh, that's sick. That's really sick. I can't wait to get all five of them out in my Niv-Mizzet deck. <laughs> in your $350 secret lair. Yeah. Yeah, so Dave, I think you kind of went straight for the throat here. Where, what kind of decks is this fitting in? Is this in like five color decks? Is this in three color decks? Like right now, so these are the cons, enemy colored mana. So this is not like a Jund card. This is like, it's, it's like Obzon, Mardu, Teemer. Jeskai, all the, those kind of things. So we're not getting some of the classic color combinations that we're seeing uh, in a lot of formats like Bant or Jund. And there's so many two-color decks in Pioneer right now. Where are these fitting in? I have no idea, to be honest. I have no idea. <laughs> I think they're going to see play. I definitely think they're going to see play. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing that's weird about them, right? When you look at them as far as fitting into Modern versus Pioneer, Here's just just my takes. Uh, I haven't done a ton of research on this, so I'm sure there's a lot of smarter people out there than me. My thought on these is they're an awkward fit in modern because the mana is so good in modern already, and you have access to... so If you know how to fetch and you're smart about playing your fetch lands, you can go and get whatever you need and have it come in untapped or tapped depending on what situation you're in pretty much all the time, right? On the flip side you don't gain anything from these things being typed lands in pioneer because there is no way to fetch lands in pioneer. So you don't really get anything from that. Um, So I'm not quite sure where these fit in, where they're really going to change things. On the other hand, I know tons of people are excited about these. And so I'm, I can't wait to see what I'm not seeing right now. But to me, these feel like the type of cards where you might have like one or two of them in a deck that is trying to be three color and that's just gonna they're just gonna try to help you smooth over your mana here and there and that might be it to me yeah i think typically multicolored decks like this whether it's like obzon which used to be a thing in modern or let's say a five color deck like niv is frequently you don't need to always play on curve 
like you can take a turn off. You know, you can you can represent something with your fetch mm-hmm. that they, the opponent can't really play into, or they don't play something that you want to remove with, let's say, your two-mana removal spell. End of turn, you fetch up this, you untap, and you have even better mana than you may have been able to have earlier. Like let's, I mean, even on turn two, if you untap and you're able to get double black more easily while still having white, that's pretty nice because previously you might have to take a lot of damage um, or you don't have the double pips that you need for some of your more important spells. Like let's say you, I I ran into that problem a lot when you want to have, let's say black green, maybe you want double black for a Liliana, but then you want to be able to also play that path without doing an initial like fetch shock type thing. And so this sort of keeps your options more open in a three, four, or five color deck because you're not always needing to hit everything on curve or uh, fetching at end step is no problem. Yeah. But still, it's not like you're going to do more than run a couple of these, right? In your wedge. Yeah, I I agree. Because you don't really want to draw these in modern. You really want to fetch them, right? That's almost certainly the case. I mean, late game, it's cool because you can cycle things away in the really long mid-range grindy games, which modern is becoming more grindy in a lot of ways. So that's helpful. Stan, what do you think about these? This is the type of card that I find so challenging to evaluate where it can both become like an instant staple and they're like nearly ubiquitous kind of like the horizon lands after modern horizons got in like so many decks and sometimes in unexpected ways like all those horizon debt lands and like burn or prowess type strategies yeah that's where i wanted to compare these two to stan is like how how are these better than the horizon lands and i don't know if they are yeah how do you compare them well i don't know My, my point was that like this can go both ways. Like either they become ubiquitous because like they tap for three colors of mana and they can be fetched. And, you know, on paper, that's kind of an interesting and powerful effect in the right decks or because they always come in tapped and that cycling cost is so expensive. Maybe they don't really see a lot of play or only like one or two of them do. I, I just think this is like a land that I'd hold on to for a bit. Just out of speculation and it's probably going to either sit in my binder or in a commander deck for a long time and, and that's the other thing maybe these are commander plants here's one thing that i think does make these interesting is they interact really nicely with the castles is that it can mm. potentially open mm-hmm. the door for some decks to play more castles yeah and i think a lot i'm looking at these two and i'm just thinking how bad are these on turn one for a lot of decks they're going to be multicolored, and it's probably not that bad I mean, there are some decks that already run the tap lands from uh, from cons, for example, that, that are yes. these lands without cycling. They're not typed and they're without cycling. They're already getting run in Pioneer occasionally, particularly in Salt High. So. Yeah, they're kind of strictly better than those uh, cons uncommon lands. Do they make Field of Ruin a little less taxing for certain decks as well? Explain how. So let's say you're trying to cast a spell that's one in a blue and you have a field of ruin and like the wrong color shock land. Now you can always like fetch this on turn one, cast field of ruin turn two, and then you can cast your one in a blue spell. I, I'm explaining that poorly, but I'm just wondering like if the fact that they tap for three mana makes some of like the restriction of running a colorless land in your deck, less of an issue. 
It could be. That's the thing. Like, there's just so many little corner cases with these lands that make them potentially playable outside of Commander, where they will be at their best. If these had cycling two, how much better would they be? And I feel like the answer is quite a bit. Yeah. Because I'm just comparing these to the Horizon lands, and I know those only make two colors, and they're painful, but just being able to remove a Horizon land when you're flooding out late game versus having to draw into it or have it into your hand, then pay the three mana to cycle it, it's just a costly cycle effect that I'm not really keen on. Honestly, at this point, I'm not even sure that they make a panorama when you put them side by side. Like Stan is doubting everything. He's doubting everything about them now. <laughs> heave, heave them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think we. this is a wait and see. This is like you have kind of like a weird cough, but the doctor can't identify anything really wrong with you. And they're just like, well, just wait and see. Hopefully you're not losing your, your sense of taste and smell. Yeah. Should we take a quick break, come back with a little survey that our patrons did and figure out how the, the people of the nation evaluated this new set? Let's do it. I love the listener survey. All right. Stay with us for a little listener survey. All right. So the last few sets, uh, one member of our community... KZ has put together a survey and then a little presentation about the members of our Slack's favorite uh, cards, the cards that they believe in the most, using our Sleeve Believe Heave patented rating system uh, so that we can kind of share the uh, the thoughts from our community with everybody who's a listener. Um, they're really awesome presentations. Every time he sends these to us, I'm kind of like... Is- so good too like yeah the, the layout is amazing he gets high res art for the background so it's like these beautiful powerpoints this is, looks like the type of powerpoint i would see at work that yeah. like someone puts time into and like cares a little bit about like the foreground and the background of all the elements it's beautiful thanks casey yeah so I, i'm just going to take everybody quickly through the results of this survey for the dive down starting with pioneer so let's talk about the cards that got the most sleeve rankings from survey participants in pioneer the top two cards i think will be of no surprise to anybody actually the top three cards are kinnon bonder prodigy which we talked about earlier on this episode luris of the dream den which you all talked about on the last episode and of one mind which we all talked about earlier on this episode as well Mm -hmm. top of the heap followed by c dasher octopus which you talked about in the last episode, Heartless Act. Yep. Uh, the Triome series. And then finally, Dire Tactics, which I think is a card that we did not talk about before. Anybody have any thoughts about Dire Tactics since that's when the, the nations bubbled up? We hit it in the quick hits last episode, and I think it's it's perfectly playable. Like there's I think that there will be like a white black humansy deck. I think even just a white black exile is perfectly good. It's exile is nice. Uh it's a good rate. Losing life isn't always that bad necessarily, but if you control a human, it's it's really good. The flavor text on this card makes me wish that there was an oath of the copper coats card since it references that, but that is not a thing. <laughs> flavor fail. Flavor fail. Do you think that maybe the most natural home for this is the Stram Auras deck, even though you only have uh, one set of humans, if I remember right? 
potentially because you're just gaining so much life often like just getting getting rid of a, a really annoying creature or maybe one with a you know activated ability that's stymieing you even a nulamog yeah. yeah so that's pioneer pioneer had seven cards that made it into the kind of top sleeve area i have to say i think i think the the nation is a, is a little ambitious on Kinnan and, and Luris for for Pioneer, perhaps. Like maybe everyone's just saying Kinnan's so good and like a a Kethis deck, but I think they want to keep Kethis under control in Pioneer. But we'll see. And 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 Luris, the CMC two or less for permanence is a little bit more restrictive in Pioneer than it is in Modern. But I agree. I think Heartless Act is amazing. Um, we'll see. Like we, we we just talked about the Triumph, so I think we'll see how those how those play out in Pio. Yeah. I mean, I think Luris's most obvious home in Pioneer has sort of been bandied about to be the Auras deck, right? Yes, for sure. Which is just like, hey, maybe that just powers up that deck like crazy and we get to kind of go from there. Um, all right, let's move on to Modern. So, Huh, it looks familiar. It does look familiar because the top sleeve cards for Modern were Kinnon, Luris, Of One Mind, and the Triumph series for Modern. And again, I would point out which KZ so helpfully pointed out that Kinnan and Luris were both over 50% people saying that they are double sleeve cards, which is our sort of alarm system rating, uh, both in modern and pioneer. People think that those cards are potentially trouble. Is that why they have that little orange border? That is why they have a little orange border. Nice. That stands out so well against the background. Man, KZ killing it. So nothing new here. I mean, we just talked about most of these cards. I totally agree that these are kind of top of the heap. I do think there's some interesting cards on the next page that maybe some of us talked about, some of us haven't had a chance to talk about. So the safest bets cards uh, is cards that were given no heave ratings. Oh, I like this. I want to fire a couple of cards at you guys. So the top six on this list are the ones that got 0% heaves in Modern and in Pioneer, were Luris, Of One Mind, The Triomes, Danith Magistrate, which we just talked about, Luminous Broodmoth, which we just talked about, General Kudro, Lisa Kudro's grandpa, <laughs> and Sprite Dragon, all got uh, no heaves in Modern and Pioneer. Other than that, the rest of the list that we have here is stuff that got no heaves in Pioneer, but I do have some questions about some of the cards on here. The first one I want to ask, I'm going to put Stan on the hot seat, Stan, have you talked about Yadaro Wandering Monster anywhere? No, no, I haven't. P- people like this card. I've been hearing rumblings. What do you think about this card, Stan? I'm going to read it out loud because I needed to read it for myself. Five red red for a legendary dinosaur turtle. So far, so good. Yeah, I'm on board. Trample, haste, cycling one in a red. When you cycle Yadaro, shuffle it into your library from your graveyard. So you're not shuffling your whole graveyard, just... Just Yadaro. Just yep. this one card? Okay. And if you cycled a card named Yadaro four or more times this game, put it onto the battlefield from your graveyard instead. It is an 8-8. Eight, eight. With Trample and Haste. Yeah. So you have to keep count of how many times you cycle this card that keeps going back into your library. That's annoying. I've heard of this as like a control finisher. Yep. That's what I was curious about, too, is how do you feel about this in your control finishy kind of decks? Here's my issue with cycling as a mechanic. It, it's not a spell. It's an ability. So it's hard to find other cards to interact with cycling. 
in control decks. Do you need them to interact? No, not necessarily. But, you know, having a spell that cycles for upside is is good. Sometimes upside can be good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just thought this card was interesting. This is another card I saw the pen sword talking about that definitely piqued my interest in the sense of just being like, I'm just going to cycle, I'm going to hold up counter spells, I'm going to cycle this over and over again, and then I'll be able to hit you with an 8 8. And then if you kill it, I'll be able to hit you with another 8 8 because it's four or more. So every time you cycle it again after the fourth time, yeah, it comes into play again. Well, it's, it's, a legendary so you can only have one on the board yeah, yeah yeah that's what i mean though it's like if they kill it you get to do it again if they kill it you get to do it again so yeah you know it's kind of a different way to get to a um what's what's the backside of thing in the ice called again an awoken horror awoken horror yeah it's a different waking horror it's a wandering horror and, and that is a creature that you wish has trample right or if it's stand playing it it's the back of his sleeve yes <laughs> it's true all right the other card i wanted to ask folks about here on on here about sorry that was not a sentence was um titan's nest are you familiar with titan's nest it's at the end of the list here so titan's nest is the card that gives all of your functionally it's an enchantment that gives all of your spells delve because you can remove cards from your graveyard in order to give a colorless mana for a non x colored spell let me read it sure one blue green black enchantment at rare at the beginning of your upkeep look at the top card of your library you may put that card into your graveyard exile a card from your graveyard so this this is another line of text this is a activated ability right exile a card from your graveyard add colorless mana not generic but specifically colorless mana Spend this mana only to cast a colored spell without X in its mana cost. And there's a lot of contorting in those rules. But like I said, basically what it does is it gives your colored spells delve. All of your colored spells delve. not Colored non-X spells. I don't know. A lot of people think this card might be broken. It feels like a card that is set up to be broken. But I'm not sure how to break it. And you got to get a lot of value out of it to make up for playing a four mana do nothing enchantment. So I'm kind of out on it, but yeah. Yeah, that's the risk, right? It's it's four mana doesn't do anything by itself right away. Yep. Commander card. Yep. Last thing I wanted to ask you you all about, there was an, a completion of a many years long cycle in this set. Uh, I think that they hyped it a little bit via Rosewater's uh, Twitter account, maybe. But they made a new cycle of ultimatums, none of which we have spoken about on the podcast so far. And the reason is, they're all terrible. <laughs> well, some people have faith. Who I I have no faith. All right. Eerie Ultimatum, which yep. is the Abzan one, and Pioneer is a Belief Plus. From our, from our listeners, yeah. Belief Plus, I guess, is pretty good. And this is the one that says, return any number of permanent cards with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield. Seems like a maybe. Have any of these ultimatums actually been really good besides Cruel Ultimatum sometimes seeing some fringe play? As a one-of in a fringe deck. <laughs> so, good in standard, right? It was a it was a format-defining card, and Cruel Ultimatum was in standard. Yeah. It has never been good in anything other than that. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's cool they finished it. Yeah. It's kind of sad that there isn't one of these that seems like it's a possible thing worth going to, towards in in Modern or Pio, but... 
people do bring up these cards in in the same sentence as fires of invention and i think having fires of invention around to potentially cast these for free though you still need to have seven lands i think makes it considerable yeah like you know fires of invention with the jeskai ultimatum you'll always find a second spell to cast after you cast the jeskai ultimatum and draw five cards it's true. Maybe you'll find another Jeskai ult- ultimatum. Yeah. Deal 10 damage. Why not? Draw 10 cards, deal 10 damage. Seems good. Perfect. So anyway, that is the uh, that's the results of our listener survey. So thanks again to KZ for uh, putting this together for us and sending us such a beautiful presentation. And uh, we really appreciate your contributions. I know everyone loves doing these. So if you want to participate in the future, you know, hop over in the Slack. God, We'd love to yeah. have you. Casey, nice work, I want to see your portfolio. I feel like there's some good work in there that I'm just not aware of. For now, that does wrap up this week's episode. This was a lot of fun. I'm kind of sad that spoiler season is over because in a way, these are my favorite episodes to do, except when I can convince my co-host to do a dive on a control deck. Hmm. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something modern or pioneer, tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. Find that at patreon.com slash the dive down. If you're at home like we are, we'll keep you company on Slack. Also, shout out to ManaTraders.com for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for ManaTraders using promo code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, stay inside and pre-order! Single!